Welcome to the 292nd episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Punta Gorda area, February the 28th, come by and see me at the Punta Gorda Veg Fest. I'll be there and I'll be speaking. I was just a part of Chef AJ's Weight Loss Summit. Great fun. Uh, I think that turned out well for everyone. So um, go on over to Chef AJ and uh, her website and take a look at all the different people that spoke. That's a, a great I think there were nine days of speakers on weight loss, so that's a good thing to look at. I am here not to report about my 50-mile run. It didn't happen. As I talked about last week, uh, family issues and broken hips and cold temperatures, we bagged it. We had deferred till next next year. Um, Thankfully, you know, everything works out for a reason. I am a strong believer in that. The temperatures in Houston, if you have listened to the news at all, uh, set record lows uh, along with an ice storm and widespread power outages over the past weekend. I actually still went to Houston to see Addie Delaney Minerich, Nathan Minerich, and my favorite grandson, Caleb, and I got to spend 38 hours without power with them. So we had our own little endurance activity Um Without power and temperatures falling inside, it was in the teens at night. I think it might have even got to single digits or pretty close to it. Um, Got to first of all say thank you, thank you, thank you to the wonderful neighbors Addie has. The Escaminos in um, Texas um, took us in, went to her sister, went to their sister's house, spent the night uh, when it was really, really cold. We were obviously worried about Caleb being, you know, a tiny little baby in the cold and body temperature. So we spent the night with them. Um, But we managed to stay plant-based in an environment that was not plant-based. So we made, before the power went out, Addie made a big instant pot full of chili and threw, you know, kale and corn and beans and mushrooms into that chili to make it really, really hearty. And we had a giant bowl of that or a giant pot of that that we used for the next uh, couple of days, really, when the power was out. We had fruit and oatmeal. And um, so it, you know, it it all worked out. As far as plant-based nutrition goes, there's no reason why you can't do it. uh, it's funny, Addie, you know, they live in her in Houston, and just like in Florida, we have to have hurricane preparation uh, supplies. So having a lot of canned goods on hand and water, potatoes, just a, a well-stocked pantry can make um, life without power uh, much more tolerable. Luckily, they uh, maintained gas Uh, a gas stove and gas water heater. So even though the water uh, kind of trickled, we still had some water um, and we were able to cook on a gas stove. So, you know, it it worked out a little cold for our Florida girls, but uh, we made it and kind of good for what ails you to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and experience some different temperatures. So even uh, when the power came back on, it was still around 30 degrees, we took a walk and got uh, the baby bundled up and and the stroller and the dog out and, you know, and did a little walk. I know a lot of you up north, that's no big surprise. You're exercising all the time in the the snow and cold weather. 
but um, when you're living inside in the cold weather and the outside in the cold weather, uh, it's a little bit a little bit different. There was no fireplace to warm up to until we went to the neighbor's house. So anyway, we made it, and um, I'm back and running in Florida. It was seventy some degrees here this morning. So what a what a change. Did a run. Um, things are still a go for the Treasure Coast Marathon, March the 7th. And then we'll be headed out to Utah for the 50K in Zion if all goes well. So, you know, running is still on track. Um, I did have a bit of a tumble a few weeks back, actually three weeks to date or three weeks in a couple days, where I you know, tripped on a curve, not paying attention, just talking and uh, running with our group and hit uh, right knee, left knee, shoulder and ribs and ran my, I rammed my um, light vest into my ribs. I think I might have, you know, I didn't get an x-ray because I don't want the radiation, but it's still pretty tender. I might have cracked something a little bit. And that's been a little bit tricky to kind of get over a little bit of a deep bruise to my uh, knee, but um, I'm out running, not as fast as I would like to be, but uh, I'm out moving and it's slowly, uh, but surely getting better. So all is well. So this evening, uh, and in class today, because, uh, we often will do leftovers at our house after we have nutrition class in the office, but we did, um, eggplant parm for the nutrition class today. And, you know, what we compared it to was if you go out to a restaurant and order eggplant parmesan, uh, in our cookbook, we do a breading for the eggplant with a little flour, uh, some panko breadcrumbs that are seasoned, um, and you can do a little Parmesan, vegan Parmesan with you know, which is basically a few cashews and some nutritional yeast, or just nutritional yeast and oregano and basil, just basically seasoned nutritional yeast uh, with the breadcrumbs and flour. Or, like I said, you can add a few cashews if you want to ground up. Um, our recipe calls for no more than two tablespoons of that mixture into the flour and panko. But uh, basically dip the eggplant in a nut milk and then the flour mixture and bake it at 400 for about 30 minutes and gives you a really nice crunchy eggplant. And uh, we did sauce, simple sauce, uh, palmy tomatoes. And the one in class we did even really simple with just... um, allspice, garlic, basil, oregano, and some hot pepper. Here at the house, I did some zucchini, mushroom, onions, and garlic, sauteing that first in spinach and then put my tomatoes in so it's a little bit uh, heartier. And again, I I basically started from scratch at the house making a sauce and the eggplant was already sliced, no big deal. And, but I, but I uh, dipped it and breaded it and baked it for 30 minutes and did the sauce. And again, 40 minutes tops, dinner's on the table. And, you know, without a bunch of oil, um, if you were to get eggplant Parmesan at a restaurant, chances are it came packaged already from the company, whether it be Cisco or Olive Garden or wherever you might go to get eggplant parm. And typically they use high fructose corn syrup in their breading. They fry it at the factory and then they fry it again at the restaurant. It's kind of a double deep fry. So you've got extra oil. And of course you have the cheese lathered on, which is extra grease and oil. Fat is nine calories per gram versus four calories per gram with carbohydrates and protein so you can see how that eggplant parm even though it's a quote vegetarian dish 
uh, in restaurants is very high calorie, very high fat, high oil. Um, that can lead to a lot and, and salt, you know, so a sauce out of the restaurant is going to be 30, 40% oil, the cheese, you know, 90%, um, fat, the, um, oil that it's cooked in. So it's a really, really high fat, high calorie dish, even though it's quote vegetarian. And I think that's sometimes how people get confused. Oh, I'm vegetarian yet. I got sick or I have high cholesterol, well, you take all those plant fats and you can make cholesterol, you take all those plant fats, you put weight on, you block your uh, uh, receptors in your muscles and in your liver, and you get diabetes. So the mechanism of diabetes is excess fat uh, in your body, excess fat in your diet. And so that eggplant, parmesan, vegetarian diet can quickly get you into, into that trouble. So you know, it's much better to make it and be able to control those, um, uh, the ingredients. And again, this was, uh, we calculated, I believe 20, just the eggplant itself, even if you use the cashews was less, uh, about 22% fat. Um, you make that part of a big salad and greens and even some pasta, you're going to cut that down to 10, 15% fat for the meal. So right where we'd want it. Again, if you have heart disease or diabetes, just cut those cashews out. Just use nutritional yeast. makes it even uh, less fat because most of the fat in that uh, eggplant came from the, the, the tablespoon of cashews, um, uh, Parmesan that was in there. So that's a good way to, to cut the fat down. Let's compare that to uh, 30 to 40-minute prep time to refrigerator to table versus driving to a fast food restaurant, say it's um, four miles away, I'm kind of four miles away from everything where I live. So if I drove four miles, 11 minutes there, 11 minutes back, 11 minutes in line, come back and eat it. Um, I would have had my eggplant parm on the table before somebody could have driven through the fast food window of a burger or chick, uh, chicken uh, restaurant and, and got it back home. With a lot less calories, a lot less fat, I stood there up. I stood up and prepped it. I went and got the groceries, so I'm going to burn more calories making it, um, less calories eating it, and probably less time. Certainly, much more enjoyable. It was delicious. I um, people in the class that so we had, uh, I think, 17 people today in class. Everybody enjoyed it tremendously. Was surprised that it was. Um, such a low-calorie, low-fat option versus regular eggplant parmesan. So definitely check out our cookbook, a little bit of a plug, uh, learn how to make the sauce and the eggplant parm, and get yourself uh, well on the way to uh, losing weight despite eating foods that you love, like they say at Weight Watchers, you know. But this is truly not portion control food, and you can actually eat more. So if you're just going to eat eggplant and sauce and maybe over greens or, a, you know, a small side of pasta, you can eat a tremendous amount more than one slice of eggplant or two slices of eggplant uh, that you would get at a restaurant. So check it out and uh, feel free to enjoy it. There was a study released or statistics released this week that if you look at premature deaths in women secondary to cancer or coronary artery disease, they're now approaching each other. It used to be that if women died early, they were more likely to die from cancer than heart disease. 
both have declined a little bit, but the rate of decline in coronary arteries, and actually in the last few years, has actually gone up in the younger age group population. So it's, it's approaching the point where coronary artery disease may be um, uh, becoming the number one killer, premature uh, death killer in people in women less than 65. And I think that that's really important to spend a little bit of time on because even as a woman, even as a woman cardiologist, it's hard for me to believe especially a woman cardiologist that's uh, approaching 59, that people actually die prematurely of coronary artery disease as a woman. It just, you know, I was taught in medical school that until menopause, your risk was about the same, then it starts to go up. And, you know, after 65, the coronary artery disease, cardiovascular risk start to equal out in men and women. But it was essentially unheard of before menopause. And so you didn't see that much of it. In West Virginia, I did see uh, younger people with coronary artery disease, younger women with coronary artery disease, mainly because of diabetes. And again, if you didn't smoke or you didn't have diabetes, then still, even in that environment where the nutrition was actually very poor, there was a pretty low incidence of cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular mortality in women. I did see it happen. I saw bypass at age 32 in a woman. I saw sudden, or I saw death um, from coronary artery disease on a treadmill in my training uh, in, in a woman with coronary artery disease at a young age. But it's, you know, it's, again, you know, 25, 30 years later, it still sticks in my head because it was a rare event versus what we're starting to see now. And it's mainly due to the increased risk factors that are happening earlier and early or in people, but especially women. So the obesity rate has gone up. Um, the number of women, the percentage of women that are overweight uh, and obese have, is skyrocketing. The nutrition, the high cholesterol, and most women don't necessarily see a general internist um, on a regular basis unless they have something wrong or they re- they're referred from it for, with, for, by their GYN. So unless a GYN is really checking blood pressure and lipid levels, uh, a lot of them fly under the radar for a, a lot of time. And a lot of women don't go to the doctor because, you know, they feel okay otherwise, you know. So they may have gained some weight. Um, their blood pressure might be borderline. Maybe they even take a blood pressure pill, but they don't go to the doctor very often because, you know, they're taking a blood pressure pill. Maybe their cholesterol's up, but they really don't want to take a cholesterol medicine. So a lot of women have untreated cholesterol, um, and blood pressure that's not, um, adequately treated and then present with, um, sudden death or, uh, an acute myocardial infarction. So, um, you know, we're all worried again about infectious disease, particularly COVID and SARS, but I think that this is a real risk factor um, that we need to really bring to the forefront. Front. So just signing up for a couch to 5K um, race and, you know, completing that by no means reverses all the poor nutrition choices and hyperlipidemia and diabetes that, that, that could be occurring. So take it serious, get your weight under control, get your cholesterol checked, get your numbers where they should be. Ideally, through 
diet and exercise versus medication. The other thing that happens to women is thyroid disease, hypothyroidism, because their thyroid burns out to same reasons, either autoimmune because of inflammatory, increased inflammatory markers uh, associated with diabetes or, um, or obesity, uh, or obesity in and of itself and a um, hypermetabolic type state. So um, see your doctor and get these risk factors under control. It's very, very important. Know your numbers and do something about them. And again, just taking a medication does not change your risk significantly, uh, given the study that the numbers are going up despite, um, you know, what we know about the numbers and people getting treated to numbers and so forth. We often think about diabetes as being a risk for heart attacks and coronary artery disease, but diabetes is also a risk factor for stroke, both strokes that occur as a result of a blood clot migrating to the brain or the result of a blockage in the blood vessels in the brain primarily. So when we talk about a blood clot, it typically moves from the heart to the brain uh, and the biggest reason to have a clot, a blood clot in the heart is atrial fibrillation. And diabetes actually increases the risk for atrial fibrillation. So there's an increased risk for embolic or a blood clot traveling to the brain, as well as what we call ischemic stroke, a blood clot formed in the brain artery. And this was published in the Journal of American, Cardi Journal of American College of Cardiology. Um, they looked back, so it was a historical cohort study, but they looked with over 44,000 people that didn't have valvular heart disease. Um, the average age was 75, with 53% being women. And they looked at prediabetes and diabetes and the risk of stroke. And prediabetes, meaning uh, not full-blown diabetes, but an elevated hemoglobin A1C and a fasting glucose less than 130, increased the risk of stroke 19% versus those with a normal glucose. So, and, and, and it went across the board from uh, prediabetes and diabetes increase, was obviously a worse risk factor than prediabetes uh, as an increased risk for stroke. So... Again, having diabetes, taking a medication does not change that. It is the need is to reverse diabetes. And of course, how do we reverse diabetes? We take the fat out of the cell, that, uh, the receptor that's blocking the uptake of glucose into the muscle and into, into the liver by decreasing body weight. And along with that, we decrease the fat in the cell and we decrease the fat in the diet. And that's how you ultimately reverse diabetes, taking a medication that decreases the production of glucose by the liver, such as metformin, or taking insulin to help push the glucose inside is not reversing, but merely controlling a number. And what remains is an elevation in insulin, which we don't measure, but that's what's elevated, trying to drive glucose into the cell. And the elevation of glucose is what is associated with all these inflammatory and growth factors that cause the, the blockages of arteries, the clotting in arteries, and high blood pressure and stress on the heart and atrial fibrillation. So again, the idea would be to reverse diabetes, not just merely treat it and go on about your life. And that means actively changing your lifestyle. 
So by the time you get diabetes or hypertension or even high cholesterol, little changes don't do a whole lot to make things go away. You've already tipped the, tipped the boat, so to speak, and you're taking in water into the cells and they're starting to sink or they're starting to get sick. So it becomes a time when someone tells you you can make little changes and make a difference. The reality of it is it's, it's not going to happen. If, you're, if you've not had a heart attack, you don't actively have cancer, there's a little bit of time involved. But again, it's a t- the clock is ticking rather quickly uh, when somebody has diabetes, hypertension, and high cholesterol. So um, it's, it's the time to actually make some significant changes. We talked today in class about uh, someone said, um, well, they might only cheat with eggplant parmesan, the real eggplant, cheesy eggplant parmesan, once a year. And I said, yeah, that's true. And you might only cheat with chicken once a year and prime rib once a year and salmon once a year and all these different things. You can come up with 365 things that you can do once a year and cause yourself to get into to big trouble. So if you give yourself that, okay, it's just a once in a while thing, chances are there are a lot of different things that occur once in a while that continue to derail a person from actually achieving forward progress. So, I mean, the, the classic that most people can identify with is two or three days in you know, following a a good diet and then falling off the so-called wagon and eating what, you know, having a cheat day or so forth. And it was also brought up in class, well, what should I eat as far as the percent of fat in my diet? And obviously a whole food plant-based diet is about 10 to 15% fat. A Mediterranean diet is about 35% fat. So that's why in 35% fat, we continue to see people have coronary artery and cardiovascular events with the uh, Mediterranean diet and lifestyle study. It was better than maybe a 50% fat diet, but it was, there, were, there were events still occurring. They weren't, you know, they weren't reversing disease. As far as calories go, it depends on the individual, the size, and, and the activity. If you want to maintain your weight at 200 pounds, then you roughly need 2,000 calories plus the calories of activity to maintain that. If you want to lose weight, then obviously you have to take in less calories than you need to maintain the weight. But sometimes people set, their, you know, set the bar a little too high up front and, you know, if somebody's 200 pounds and they want to be 100 pounds, they'll say, okay, I'm going to drop that down to, you know, instead of 2,500 calories to maintain 200 pounds, I'll drop it down to 1,500 calories to maintain uh, 100 pounds with that activity. That's too big of a jump for people. Um, they can't sustain it. So it's a temporary thing. They become hungry, uh, depressed, anxious, and then they actually go and overeat and negate the whole thing. So... It should be set, you know, as far as calories per day. That's why we don't really like to measure calories so much in a plant-based diet as we want to measure nutrient density. So if you're reading a very nutrient-dense plants, fruits, vegetable, whole grain diet, 
then most likely you're going to be full because of the high fiber, high volume load. So you're not going to go over that calories that you need and you'll actually be at a caloric deficit, especially if you add a little bit of extra exercise onto it. But nonetheless, um, you know, you need to get at it if you have this pre-glucose, pre-diabetes, or, you know, slightly elevated glucose. I think it's a really nice way to tell somebody, you know, hey, you're overweight when, when maybe you're obese and you're pre-diabetic when basically a pre-diabetic has a lot of the same risk factors for cardiovascular disease, cancer, inflammation as somebody that's uh, already a diabetic. So it's not a get out of jail card free. It's not a, oh, you got all the time in the world card. It's we got problems. We need to make some changes right now and a game plan so that the goal is out there. Um, you're not going to be able to out-exercise uh, the diagnosis of pre-diabetes, just like you can't out-exercise the diagnosis of hyperlipidemia. So if you're training for that marathon or training for that 5K, thinking that's going to fix it, it's not. Um, again, because fat is blocking the cell as far as diabetes go, to the uptake of glucose into the muscle cell and the liver cell, but it's also the fat that's in the diet. So if you keep putting fat in the top, no matter how much you're exercising, you're still blocking the receptors. That was shown very well in a study looking at a professional cyclist when they gave them an infusion of fat or they gave them a meal of high fat, they actually made them glucose intolerant. So just eating a high fatty meal, no matter whether you're, glu- you're diabetic or not, is going to impair glucose uptake. So in a person that's already pre-diabetic, that means that they're already producing more insulin than they should be in order to get the glucose into the cell. So there's already going to be high glucose around adding, eating a high fat diet in the presence of exercise. It's going to just make that worse. So don't fool yourself into thinking that, oh, if I walk or I run or I train for a marathon or I start doing something, you know, going to the gym 30 minutes, you know, four or five times a week, I'm going to fix it. Chances are not because you're not going to be able to compete with the fat loss that needs to occur in your body. However, there is good news about being active. Um, There was a study done uh, in the Journal of Preventative Cardiologists in Europe. Uh, It was a a European study that they looked at lifestyle um, sedentary individuals versus low physical activity, moderate physical activity, and high physical activity. And they looked at a cohort of almost 1.5 million people. 28,000 of those people had a myocardial infarction, and that became the study group. And out of that 28,000 people, 17.7% of those people died within 28 days of their heart attack. So, and 62.3% died suddenly. So chest pain, sudden death, 63% of those 28,000 people died suddenly. And 17.7% died within 28 days. Again, let's put this in perspective. Let's think COVID, which we're all running from and we're all worried about, yet we're all walking around eating Cheetos, Fritos, donuts, and comfort food because we're worried and we're at home. This is a much worse mortality and a much higher sudden death rate than any infectious disease. So I'm not saying that COVID doesn't matter. Please don't send hate mail. But I'm saying 17.7% of 28,000 people 
died within 28 days of their heart attack, and 62.3% of those died in the first 48 hours. You were much less likely to die if you were not, if you were not sedentary. So meaning any activity is better than being not active if you're going to have a heart attack. People that had a high physical activity level had a 45% lower risk of sudden death and a 28% decrease in death over 28 days versus sedentary people. What is a sedentary person? They looked at metabolic equivalents. So we measure METs when we do stress tests. And sedentary was less than 7 METs hours. Um, low activity was six to, 7 to 16, moderate 16 to 32, and high was greater than 32. As an example, if someone walks briskly 7 hours a week, that's an hour of brisk walking a day, they have a 21 MET hour. Again, a high physical activity was greater than 32 met hours. So the more active, the more physically active you are, the better your chances of surviving the acute myocardial infarction and in the upcoming month. People think that once they've had their heart attack, you know, the first 24, 40 hours, which is the most dangerous, if they get a stent, then they're clear sailing. But there is a risk of sudden death in that next month because of the scarring and, and tissue damage uh, and electrical instability of a person with a heart attack. So those people that had that were physically active, and you know, you can say, well, they're if you're physically active, your muscles are efficient, so your heart doesn't have to work as hard to supply blood and oxygen to the rest of your tissues as someone that's very sedentary. So get out and move, bare minimum, an hour of walking a day to try to protect yourself a little bit. On a similar note, there was a study done on the Harvard nursing population, which um, included 83,000 women, and women that did 21 met hours, again, about seven hours a week walking, had a 50% less likely chance of getting colon cancer versus those that do two mets per hour, basically slow walking one hour per week. So one hour a week versus one hour every day, will protect you not only from cardiovascular disease and dying from it, but decrease your risk of colon cancer. Again, you're burning off fat, you're burning off energy, your body is more metabolically active, uh, less toxins, less inflammation. So bringing it all back around to what do we do and how do we change our intake in order to make some healthy weight loss, uh, lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol, how do we do it in a way that's not painful? You know, that we're not, you know, you see people going to the gym, you've seen the, the, you know, the things on YouTube where people are pounding the gym and they're pounding, they're doing the high intensity intervals and they're sweating to the oldies and they're, 
you know, wearing sweatshirts and used to be, of course, people wear the plastic suits and you're eating, you know, one meal a day because you're trying to skimp calories and, and none of it actually works. What works is being realistic and adjusting your caloric intake in a gradual stepwise fashion. So start by looking at where you can take out calories that are painless. Brings me back to the eggplant parmesan. If you take the cheese out, you're taking fat out, which is nine calories per gram versus four calories for protein, four calories for carbohydrate. So by taking the fat out of your diet in the form of oil, just cooking with olive oil, you're looking at five to 800 calorie deficit a day, painless painless. Nobody drinks olive oil unless you're doing an olive oil tasting somewhere. Pity those people. But just taking the oil out of your diet, making sure there's not oil, added oil in what's being cooked, what's being prepared, what sauces are being added, taking charge of your own kitchen. 500 to 800 calories a day, painless. Taking the dairy out of your diet, again, taking away fat, Making your own tomato sauce. Tomato sauce is on the shelf, 30 to 40% oil, fat, taking that out. So look for the sources, coffee creamer. Um, again, I experienced this weekend, somebody I didn't even know it existed, uses a protein coffee creamer. So people are sold that it must be good. It's a high protein coffee creamer that must be giving you nutrients. Well, it's not so. People aren't just putting sure they're not putting protein powder in their coffee. They're putting protein powder and fat to make it dissolve in their coffee. So again, you've added a calorie that you the calories that you don't need. So look for places where you can easily take it out. Take those cashews out. Just use nutritional yeast. Take the vinaigrette out and just have a vinegar. Maybe have some lemon. Eat, add more herbs and spices. Look to where you can add spices versus oil or butter. I heard somebody this week came home and they took the bread off their Dairy Queen chicken sandwich and replaced the bun with an Ezekiel bread. Well, that really doesn't cut it, does it? Because, they, yeah, they probably took a little bit of oil out with that Dairy Queen white bun and put a sprouted grain Ezekiel bread with it, but the real calories and the real problem really came from that fried chicken in high fructose corn syrup, peanut oil, soybean oil, all of the above, whatever, the calorie density of that. So not going to the Dairy Queen in the first place would be the, the true answer. So, uh, you know, again, people try to skimp on calories on their main meals and then they're hungry and they get the munchies and they go out and get something that they shouldn't. So look for a high fiber food that you can eat increased volume. So plants, fruits, and vegetables, whole grains that fill you up, that you're full at mealtime. So you're not, you know, an hour after meal going to look for something more to eat. The last, uh, you know, one of the last things I'll say is, you know, the calorie density of making spread. So whether it's a hummus, you know, certainly store-bought hummus contains oil, a couple different kinds. So that's going to add unnecessary calories. You can decrease the calories by making your own hummus. But if you're doing that on a regular basis, you're taking a bunch of beans and smashing them. So you're making beans more calorie dense by making a bean spread. 
So a once in a while thing, okay. But if you're really trying to cut the calories down, then just eat the beans. So look for, for things that are ground, pasta versus whole grains. You know, we think that whole wheat pasta is a whole grain. It's not really because it's a flour made into pasta. Probably has a little bit more fiber, maybe one gram. But that's about, what, that's about all it gets you. So you're better off doing a quinoa or a rice uh, or a barley if you're going look to look at a whole grain. The other thing is drinks and beverages. Energy drinks have been found to contain substances that are very harmful that actually cause arrhythmias, prolongation of the QT interval. They're in uh, quite a few of the energy drinks. Obviously, they're very high in sugar. Um, that is unnecessary calories. So learn to drink things like green tea, black coffee, and water. Uh, adding a little bit of lemon or lime to a, a water if you need a flavor to wean yourself off. But um, you know, high-calorie, sugary drinks are not a necessary thing. It's you know, it adds just empty calories to someone's day. So again, if you're looking to get rid of 140. Some people drink two cans of soda a day, so that'd be 280 calories a day that you can get rid of painlessly, just eliminating the soft drink. What about diet sodas? You know, people say I use stevia or some of the other, I don't even know what uh, artificial flavors or artificial sweeteners are used, but some of them, stevia is one of them that may alter the gut microbes that actually kind of make you want something sugary or want more calories, so... Um, diet sodas aren't usually the answer. The caramel coloring has been found to be carcinogenic in a lot of those. Uh, like we talked with uh, Chris War and Chris Beat Camp, uh, work with Chris Beat Cancer. So, caramel color and artificial sweeteners aren't health foods. So, give them up and save yourself some calories that are easy to get rid of. And then, you know, after all those painless calories are eliminated, then as your weight starts to fall and you need to restrict things a little bit more, you can. But chances are you can go a long way with these empty calories or these fluff calories and getting at the weight you really want to get at. And then by increasing your activity, you're going to burn some calories to kind of meet yourself in the middle uh, when you start building muscle and eliminating fat, your metabolism will go up a little bit. So, you know, you'll, you're going to meet, meet there as well, increasing the mitochondria and your muscle cells, uh, increasing blood flow, all things that, uh, you know, can help you get to the weight loss that, that you need to reverse diabetes. So I think that about sums it up for this week. Um, I hope Texas is going to get cold tonight. I hope they don't lose power. My heart goes out to all those families that their pipes burst uh, and they had damage. If you do live in a cold environment, I know people that live up north are more used to it. Most people that live up north have fireplaces or wood burners or um, some sort of gas, you know, dual heating um, ways to dual heat that, that are somewhat better prepared. But every year there's carbon monoxide poisonings, both from being cold and, and being hot. So don't... Um, you know, don't leave a gas stove on, don't bring a grill inside, don't turn your car on inside to heat, heat uh, up, uh, up your house. Be smart. Uh, make sure you unplug things that, that could possibly catch on fire um, when, when no, one's, no one's around. 
And uh, be safe, be warm, uh, be active, and I'll check in with you next week. But before I do, I want to invite you to March 25th, our next Zoom nutrition conference. Uh, it'll be a Wednesday night, uh, same format, 530 to 8. I'm going to be making sourdough bread from the very beginning of a starter to the bread that comes out of the oven. Obviously, I'll be doing in different stages and showing the stages. Addie will be uh, with me as well, looking at the fermented uh, dinner of a Reuben sandwich. So looking at tempeh and some other fermented foods as well as sauerkraut and talking about the gut microbes. So we'll have a nice discussion about that. We'll also be doing um, some um, interviews, or I'm sorry, some consults the day before. So if you're not to the place where you'd like to join our practice, and you can go over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-U-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com, and look at the ways you can join our practice on a monthly basis and get access to all of our uh, content, uh, webinars, and recipes, and coaching, and medical advice. You can do a one-time consult with us uh, the week before uh, that, and uh, we'll, we'll make that available on the website too. So go over to drdelaney.com, and you'll see how you can purchase a one-time consult with us or purchase tickets for the nutrition consult. You'll have a, There'll be a live Q&A after that. You'll have access to that video for the next week as well as uh, questions and answers. So I look forward to meeting uh, many of you um, during that conference. Also, if you've been training for a marathon and you just haven't found one to run, you want to join us over at Treasure Coast March 7th. That is a race that is still on over on the east coast of Florida. So uh, hop on over to that website and join us. Keep active, eat healthy, reduce your risk of cancer, heart disease, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.